guess we'll start with Patricia. Patricia, is there anything specific about attachment you want to get into or just in general what attachment is, how it works, how it affects our experience of life in general, or what do you think? Um, just in general. I was more curious about what your thoughts are on it. Okay. Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is a, a um, they called like old fables or something. Um, there's this old story about two monks that, you know, one of the, the, I guess, things that some, in the, in the practice of Buddhism, some monks try to avoid is attachment. As Buddhism, Buddhism teaches that it's the center of, um, or I should say, the cause of all suffering. And there is an old tale about two Buddhists that are coming down to a river, and they, they see a woman there trying to cross the river. And one monk drops his things and grabs her and picks her up and then crosses the river with her and drops her off on the other side. The other monk's sitting there, disgusted or offended or, you know, just having an emotional reaction to the whole thing. And he stops after they cross the river, you know, say a mile down the road. And he says, man, you, you broke every rule in the book by, you know, physically picking that woman up and dragging her across the river. And, you know, how could you do that? And he looks over at the, the other monk and he said, well, I left her on the other side of the river and you're still carrying her. <laughs> to me, that is the definition of attachment, more or less. At least it explains it quite accurately. It's the, the carrying of past events or projections of what we may create about future events. And so the way this can come into play in everyday life is, is carrying something with you day to day that affects your disposition, your mood, that affects the thoughts that you may have, or your experience about things that are going on in the present moment that, that may not even be understood as a choice, like there's no choice in the matter. Maybe something that just feels like it's happening to you like say somebody cuts you off on the way to work and it affects your entire day if you had no attachment to the way people drove that would not have affected you in the slightest and you wouldn't have ruined your day and you wouldn't have carried it with you for your entire day so it's sort of um you know projecting the past onto the present moment such that someone is not able to be fully present to what's going on um is that making sense? Absolutely. I think too, I'd like to add like in regards to being in a space of responsibility, when you have attachments, then that. Oh, my finger gives up on holding the mute button. Um, <laughs> You can just tap it once and it unmutes you and you can tap it again to read wow. Gingy, you are brilliant. See, this is why I am attached to you. You don't have to be attached to the button, Patricia. I was literally attached. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the student becomes the teacher. I love it. Um, 
Thank you for that, Shinji. But just coming from that space of responsibility, right? Like the expectation of something being a certain way and then the reaction if it doesn't go that way. Instead so like of looking, the attachment to an expectation? Yeah. I mean, is expectation different than attachment? Um, yeah, I would say like I could expect that you know, I'm going to some, something is going to happen in the future. And if it doesn't, I can move on, learn from that, and expect something new to happen. Like, if I say the word yes, I expect you to understand what I mean by the utterance of the word. But if you're like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, well, yes is affirmative. I'm not saying no, and I can explain it, and I have no attachment to you understanding that word. I'll move on to different language. So the attachment to yes, well, what do you mean you don't understand it? Yes is yes. Get a dictionary, you idiot. And I might, you know, have a notional reaction to you not understanding what I mean by the word. So attachment to the expectation is a, is leads to disappointment in any other uh, result, we'll say. But if there is no attachment to the expectation, then you can fluidly let go of it and, and move on. Leave it in the past. Exactly. And that level of responsibility in the attachment allows you to play victim because it didn't go your way. Yeah. By the way, I just want to let you know, Gingy, that I met a Buddhist monk yesterday. It's a pretty cool guy. Sweet. A legit... Buddhist monk. Yeah, I met him at the Buddhist temple. I can't say that I've ever, well, I've met plenty of people that claim to be Buddhist. <laughs> uh, I can't say that I've met someone I would view as like the legit ones, the, you know, the guys that spent all that time up in the mountains, in the middle of nowhere, meditating, meditating, levitating, mastering inner self, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, he was pretty cool. He was talking about um, when his his teacher and when he was up in the mountains, just meditating, and the teacher would always give him would they would go into class and he would just say the same thing over and over and over every single day for years. And he laughed. He said, you probably don't expect this from me. He's like, but I hated him. And he hated what he was telling them because it was the same thing over and over and they wanted to move on. Like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We get it. And he's still really close to that teacher. He speaks to him every day. And the same thing that he said over and over time after time comes into play so much for him now as he's the senior monk at this Buddhist temple. It was really cool. I was like, yeah, all right, cool. Responsibility and no attachment. See how that works out. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I can't help but think about one of the, there was a, a video that apparently I was late to the party on, um, but it was a video from Albuquerque there was a transgender woman in GameStop, of all places. And the 
check out clerk kid who was probably like 16 years old <laughs> kept saying like i'm sorry sir <laughs> and it just kept triggering this person over and over and over and he was like it's ma'am screaming at this kid he's like i'm sorry i'm so i'm so sorry sir <laughs> i wanted to like take him outside and fight him and whoop his ass and well i should say that the transgender woman and and to me i was just looking at this whole video like this person is really attached like severely attached to to the point where they're willing to fight over and potentially cause or or be injured or potentially uh, a death could come from a fight. <laughs> like one punch in the wrong spot and you could break a skull and potentially, you know, or have brain swelling. And people die from fights all the time. It's, it's no you know, minor thing. And this person was attached enough to want to engage in somebody physically, to accost somebody, to take it outside and bloody each other up because they were attached to the way that person spoke to them, or at least how they referred to them. Not even the intent behind the words, or why the kid was saying what the kid was saying, or what other people thought about the situation, purely like, you don't, you don't understand, I'm dressed a certain way, I want you to call me a certain way. And for me, I don't have the most, um, I'll say, common name in the u.s and i've been called pretty much anything that's similar enough i even had one guy couldn't even pronounce it and he was like oh good for you <laughs> away like condescendingly and i would have never taken it to the point of a physical altercation and so like to me i'm just looking at an extreme attachment to the way other people view me or that person anyway or how the, the people speak to this person and I'm seeing that more and more going on in the U.S. The U.S. especially, because I haven't really been traveling abroad in the last year, a year and a half maybe. So it's a trip. I mean, is anybody else seeing anywhere in the world? <laughs> I mean, obviously, seeing anywhere else in the world where people are getting overly attached, where they're not even willing to have a conversation about their attachment. They're just brutally defending their position, brutally defending their attachment. Wearing a mask, Jinji, there's a lot of fights that happen as a result of the mask uh, controversy. Yeah. In fact, I, I saw not too long ago, an elderly woman had to have been in her 80s, I would say, if I had to guess. And she came into the post office with her cane, walking into the mailbox just to slip something in the box and then walk out. And there were, I don't say, five to ten people that just mean mugged her right back out of the building. Even some people yelling at her, ma'am, you have to put a mask on. And I'm sitting in the back of the line thinking, isn't she the demographic we're wearing the mask for? <laughs> She's the one at most risk. Like, <laughs> it blew my mind. It's kind of funny because when you think about social media, like everything's for likes and stuff. So what do people do on social media now? They argue their points. So it kind of makes sense that society in general it, uh, is trying to go towards what the politically correct 
idea is, even if it develops attachments, because it just makes them feel good about themselves because they're getting like likes, right? Even if it's not on Facebook, they feel like, you know, if I wear a mask, all these other people wearing masks make me feel good about myself. Or if I post my, like, you know, I got a COVID vaccine, all these people liking this photo, it's just going to make me feel better about myself. So then, you know, they don't want to go against whatever society deems as acceptable. So it's like naturally people are almost indoctrinated into some attachment in terms of what happiness or approval looks like. Yeah. And, and something we talked about last week, your, your, I'll say your instincts, I think is what we called it, are literally being preyed upon by advertisers, by marketers, by um, industries of all kinds, including political. And that's what we're seeing. There is like a fundamental inherent need that people have to fit in, to be part of a group. And that's being exploited. And you'll see like it, it playing out in in this conversation about mass. So this need, this attachment that people have to fitting into a group, this is leading these people to like, if, as long as I'm doing this, you know, I'm in the group and everybody knows I'm in the group. I'm in the mask wearing group. And then you have somebody else that shows up outside of that group and you furthermore dig yourself into that position by pointing them out, by making fun of them, by, by accosting them in some way, because now you've solidified yourself even further into the group that you're so desperately attached to. You see it all over. It's not just with masks. It's, it permeates every aspect of our society right now. Yeah. That's a great point, Anna. Thanks for chiming in. I guess like um, a follow-up to that is if you're like dealing with people who have like an, an attachment, whether you know what it is or not, how do you engage that situation? Um, in, in, a, in, a, in a manner to either help that person understand maybe they're like too tied to whatever they're they're trying to do or at least just like diffuse it in a way that you're not gonna be impacted um as negatively as you could be well the, the first thing and this is something we always go back to on these calls is to to recognize your responsibility in the events that are happening and even if you if you're not in a space of 100 responsibility you could still you know turn flip the card around and say what am i attached to right now am i attaching attached to changing this person's mind am i attached to being right in this situation am i attached to fighting this person and winning what am i attached to right now and if you're clear on where you're at it becomes really easy to them, the second, my second point, is to meet them where they're at, to engage them compassionately, because they may not even know that it's an attachment. They may not know that they're, they're, they're fostering or harboring a need deep within themselves to fit in. And it's playing out in the ways that it is. They may be justifying it and explaining it away as like science or, you know, we're, we're protecting people. And this is, you know, we're the good guys in this drama. And so understanding where they're coming from and meeting them with compassion, those are the, and responsibility, those are the fundamental ways to, to enter into any engagement with somebody and not be negatively affected. That makes sense because at the end of the day, I think people want the validation of being quote unquote heard. So if you 
like what you're kind of explaining is um, let that person be heard so you can understand. Like when you're saying, I guess when you're saying uh, understanding a perspective is like kind of showing that you listen to what point of view they came from. Yeah. And if you really have no idea where they're coming from, it might be good to ask. <laughs> Why is it that you're so emotionally upset about this 80 something year old woman in the post office without a mask? On? Have you thought about it? Have you justified it? Where are you at with it? And at the very least, you'll get a deeper understanding of who they are, who they choose to be in the world, and the, the life that they're living. And so then it's like you, you can easily start seeing holes in ideologies like that. Like the, the one question I could have asked any of those people in the post office, instead I was like dumbfounded. If I had asked like the one guy that I saw towards the front that was just like mean mugging the shit out of her. Like I've never seen eyes like daggers like that before in my life. If I had walked up to him and been like, why are you being so fixated on this person right now? They're like, well, she needs to wear a mask. I'm like, well, isn't her demographic the one most at risk? And we're the ones that are supposed to be wearing masks to protect her? I mean, that that's the, the logic of the mask conversation right now. It's not, I mean, most people aren't thinking that masks are protecting them anymore, which I'm happy about because this, no, there's zero science that, that supports that. Yeah. Even even the, you know, the Biden administration isn't saying wear a mask to protect yourself. It's like a namaste, I think is the meme that I saw. <laughs> the mask on me recognizes the mask on you. Um, sorry, I'm getting a little bit off topic here. But no. Once, <laughs> once you see where they're coming from and the ideology that has led them there, then you know you, you can ask further questions. You know, I really wonder if you understand that you know the masks are meant to protect the vulnerable, or the masks are meant to you know whatever, and, and leading, not even leading them through a series of inquiries, but almost like intentionally and authentically trying to understand where they're coming from while also shining some light on you know, pre, you know, I'll say unacknowledged assumptions that they may have about the situation. And it may very well lead to them being like, Oh my God, I had no idea I needed to fit in so bad. Or it may lead to them like, well, you're just an idiot <laughs> running away. And it's like, okay, they're, they're absolutely, you know, not interested in, having a conversation at all about this. So for me, that that an entire conversation ultimately leads down the rabbit hole to whether or not it's even worth me having a conversation with someone. I'll spend five or ten minutes, you know, engaging with somebody like that. And if they're not at all interested in in a conversation, if they they're just trying to prove me wrong or prove themselves right, or whatever the case is that becomes abundantly clear pretty quick. And then I get to choose whether or not that's the type of conversation I want to be engaged with. Not that there's any good way or bad way to do that, but that goes all the way back to the responsibility aspect. Is this the type of conversation that I want to be contributing to in the world? Like I don't want somebody else to go, you know, Yosemite Sam and shooting all their facts at me and trying to teach me something. I would like to hear their position and where they're coming from so I can learn a little bit more about human nature 
or at least the ideologies that are at play for this person. You know, so those are the reasons I would be there. Being clear on where I'm coming from allows me to be grounded in that. And at one point, I may just be like, huh, all right, cool, man. Thanks for, thanks for the conversation. Really appreciate your perspective. See ya. I'm not affected. I've learned a little bit. And I've also recognized that it's not the conversation I want to be involved in. Or I may end up swapping phone numbers with this person. And we become besties over the next you know, five years. And we talk about all the details of life. There's no telling where it can go. And that goes for strangers all the way up to like family and, and intimate relationships. Anybody else have a question about what we're talking about? Or Anna, any more follow-ups? No, um, this kind of reminds me of a book I've been kind of reading. Um, I don't know if you've ever read it, but The Untethered Soul. Who's that by? I feel like I have read some of it. I think it's Michael Singer, if I had to guess. But um, I had the book, and it actually was really, really interesting for me because it took all these ideas that I've been kind of um, ingesting and it put it together in a book, which was kind of surreal, right? Because I felt like I had all these conflicting um, ideas, and to see it in a book addressing all of them I thought was really interesting and then um, this guy has a lecture on I think on audible audible or whatever um, where it's I think it's a nine-hour lecture and I think he does some some uh, boot camps and I feel like it talks about in a in a sense attachment on in terms of like how we're shaped based off of our past experiences and things like that and um, letting go a little little bit but um, this conversation reminds me of that. So I was kind of curious if you've ever heard or uh, read uh, The Untethered Soul. I, I just looked it up. It is by Michael A. Singer. Cool. And tell me a little bit more what it's about. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I have an audio book of it somewhere. So um, the main book uh, kind of evaluates... Um, your presence in terms of your mind, um, like who you are, not just through, I guess, like what I would call a physical realm. And when I say that is like, you know, you go through all these things and this is just what life is. It's talking about it um, in, ter- in a deeper aspect of who are you? Like, let's identify who you are not and breaks it down by that. And then um, in practice is kind of what, like what you're talking about in this scenario. And I think I was listening to a different pre-recording and it, it was similar where it was talking about how a lot of the things that you engage with or do are because of, um, I guess what life is and how you get entangled in it and lose yourself because of the entanglement. Um, whether it's lost in attachments, um, your, your past, your future, things like that. It's just, I think it's talking about being more present, but not just in the sense of just be present, right? It, it goes uh, into a deeper meaning and um, takes day-to-day scenarios and breaks them down on why you're reacting a certain way or why these things happen. That's awesome. Um... I just I just did a search on my computer and I found my folder of audiobooks and sure enough it's in there. <laughs> I it's, think it's, it's a pretty good one. I've been like telling almost every person to know like it's it's kind of funny cuz um uh even in a 
you know, a personal conversation. Like I will have a friend that says something like, Oh, I don't know why this happened or whatever. And I'm like, I'm telling you, read the book, like read the book. For some reason, I thought it was about like astral projection or something. <laughs> you know, some like uh, psychic oh, development type of book, but it, I, it sounds different. Not that one. Um, or, or as far as I read, because I kind of read the uh, the Untethered Soul, and then I started listening to this audiobook because I was like trying to cook and stuff. So I was like, oh, I can't read and do these things, but I want to, you know, continue to learn, right? Um, from what I read so far, it didn't really talk about astral projection. It talked about it as a comparison for something like a loose, like lucid dreams and stuff like that. But it only made a comparison to understand your like present, I guess, super sober mindset. Right. Interesting. I think this is one of those books that I got from Brandon's archives. Brandon used to be the trainer of uh, an organization called uh, Community Leadership Foundation. Mm. And when I went there and I took some of his courses, when I took leadership from there, I I got access to a bunch of audiobooks that he that everybody accessed because so a lot of them were our homework. And I don't think we ever used this one as homework, but it was definitely in that. Like it's in here next to like the greatest salesman in the world and Don Miguel Ruiz's four, four agreements and spiritual laws of prosperity. It's definitely, it's definitely more towards uh, meditation, but I don't think it talks about Mm -hmm. like, it's not like, Oh, meditate to astral project. It's more just like once you get to a certain level of meditation, that's a certain level of peace and whatever. Like I think he's, he insinuated that he got, so far that it's whatever crazy right but it it was i felt like the way it was written was really it wasn't kind of sci-fi to me it was really just like logically looking at how you think how you experience and things like that and kind of tied into like how your past experiences really shape um current fears things that make you happy and why you're always chasing happiness that's awesome um, there is some immense power in identifying what is not you. Like in, in the leadership workshops we used to do, um, it was never about trying to achieve something, really. It was about eliminating, like getting yourself out of your way, eliminating the aspects that you have self imposed that may be hindering. The, the goals that you set for yourself. So like going back to attachment, if I have an attachment to a type of person I want to be in relationship, she has like in relationship with, she has to look a certain way. She has to speak a certain way. She has to be from a certain place. She has to have a certain diet and physical physique. And she has to get along good with my dog, whatever. If I have an attachment to exactly the type of person that I want to be with, that may work out really well and i might find someone who exactly fits my image of this or it could be something that i pass up on a thousand perfect relationships because you know they're not brunettes or because my dog growled once or because you know they ate a cheeseburger or something like (laughs) whatever it is 
that attachment may be what's in the way of truly creating a sustainable, loving, connected relationship. And if you take a look at what's getting in the way of these things, and then you open yourself up to a loving, connected relationship, and it, it may be more effective of an approach to acquiring or creating what it is you're committed to, you know? And so his, yeah. his conversation about let's, let's, let's first go into everything that you're not is for me is an amazing way to identify the true nature of who you are. Cause you're like, Oh, well, I'm my name. Well, you're not your name. Well, I'm my profession, you're not your profession. You start going down this list and you end up at a place you know, a pure intrigue. Well, if I'm not all these things that I've thought I was in the past, what am I? You're observer <laughs> of your present time. Who's the observer? You. Like, like that's, that's what the... it boils down to is like your awareness. So like your awareness of if you dream or you don't dream of like your presence or your not presence is like it's trying to say that's you without all your like ego, which is assuming all your attachments. So like, that's when people say like live in the present moment. I think it's, it's misconstrued a lot because people are thinking, Oh, like just be aware, like be present. Right. But I think it's deeper than that of like be in your present moment without having all these preconceived thoughts. And then it was kind of identifying that, like, let's say, oh, your wife or whoever can't have, needs to have brown hair or can't have brown hair. Like, where does that um, attachment come from? Is it because you had a negative experience with so-and-so who had this color hair, had this color, like, eyes, this makeup, this type of voice? Like, it's basically um, starts talking about how your ego, like, out, like basically outside of your being of an observer is developed because of all your experiences and we hold on to those things instead of letting them go as the moment goes, which is what we're supposed to do in this book. But um, because we don't, we're like trapped, we're kind of trapped in our ways because we don't realize what we can let go. Yeah. We don't even realize what we're holding on to. Yeah. Like, and to give a very specific example, I had this one relationship in my 20s that I thought I was going to marry this woman. We grew up together. She was like a friend of the family kind of thing. I knew her forever. We had a really close connection, and it came crashing down one day. Now, I'm not going to go into the details about all of that. However, since that moment, I recognized you know, up until probably about five or six years ago, I recognized that every single woman that I truly felt like it for and that, that, you know, imaginary ideal type of feeling that it, that people strive for in relationships, I was one of them. And I recognized that every woman that I met, I was like, Oh, I feel it. I'm going to go out. I'm going to ask her out. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to whatever was only it because they reminded me of this woman. I thought I was going to marry that. I obviously wasn't over yet. Oh. And because I didn't even know that I was trying to recreate an old relationship. I, 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 I was beating myself up 
every single time I got dumped. It was either three weeks or three months or, you know, just a flat out no from the get go. I'm like, I thought we had a connection. So what are you talking about? We barely had any words together. Uh, there was one girl I was with for like three months and was like, I love you. And she's like, bye. <laughs> it's like, finally, just by trying to get into a relationship with, a relationship with somebody that I didn't feel that for, where I was actually able to create a successful relationship. But up until then, it's like, I had no idea. I just, I was only able to identify it by like, I have this feeling for some women and I always get broken up with. But when I don't have that feeling, they fall in love with me. This is weird. Maybe I should try to go for someone who I don't feel this connection with. (laughs) And as counterintuitive as it was, it worked. But it was only because I was, I was trying to recreate an old relationship. So I wasn't present to the relationships that were in front of me. I was trying to recreate the past over and over and over. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, no, that's exactly, that's exactly what this book talked about too, is like how you have these experiences and it's like the first time that you have the experience. It's so wonderful. And we try it like as a human society, we try to hold on to that feeling, right? Like it's your first kiss, whatever, things like that, that you're just like, have such a, usually a fond memory, right? That people try to recreate them with that expectation that you can recreate it. But because it's your first experience and like, you're so present in that moment, like there's really, you can't have the expectation to recreate it. You just have to acknowledge, wow, that was a beautiful moment. And I'm so glad that I got to experience that and then let it go and move on. Yeah. It's like, that's not the only way to love somebody. It's not the only relationship that's successful. And on the flip side, I know people like one of my little brothers, he's always in a relationship. My kid's married now, but he always went for the women that he had these connections with and they always worked out. So like his attachment worked for him. (laughs) He didn't know he's like recreating the same relationship for the same type of woman over and over. And eventually he just married one of them when he was ready to settle down. But, you know, for me, it didn't work. So it's, it's not only recognizing where the attachment is, but it's recognizing that there's an attachment and whether or not it's working, if it's getting in the way. Shinji, that's interesting. This, I actually met my husband that way. He, it was, sometimes I say it was like a matter of choosing what I wouldn't normally choose. I, uh, and so I did the same thing with him is so long as he wasn't going to harm me, I was going to choose into something that I was not attached to. Um, and it turned out the same for me. It's been, it's the best relationship I've ever had and will ever have. He's, uh, you know, the love of my life, but it's interesting that, that you bring that topic up because that's actually how I met my husband and broke through. Yeah. Obviously some, some limiting, limiting uh, thoughts. I also, I also think it's interesting, especially dating now, right? Everyone's like, oh my gosh, I can't find somebody. Like, I'm on all these dating apps or whatever. And I feel like there's so much truth, or at least in my experience, to it's going to happen when you don't even like expect it or you don't have the pressure for it to happen. Like, it's going to happen on its own. But if you make, if you're trying to make something happen, it's just not going to be like as natural or as good, or at least my personal understanding is like the things that 
fell into my lap I never planned for. And those were the best things. You think too, Anna, in that sense, it would be like, what are you, cre- you know, what are you creating? What are you looking for? Are you clear on what it is you want in a partner? Once you start getting super clear with that, and I'm not talking about like high color or whatever, right? It's the beingness. What does that person embody that you want to be in partnership with? Mm-hmm. When that, when you get clear on that, it's going to happen. Trust me. Right, Rachel? It happened to me. <laughs> it did. And that, that's actually interesting because um, that happened after I chose into my husband. And, and that's why he became my husband, right? So I, I chose in by being unattached to the dating life. And then I got yeah. really clear as to what I was looking for. And, and there it was in front of me. Um, that's a really good point also. It's almost, it's almost like your thoughts from your like previous experiences because you weren't like paying attention or like not paying attention, but like you weren't focusing on your past um, that it made you so clear because those thoughts were not clogging your vision. Yeah. Good way to say it. And, uh, and there was a distinction you made that I thought was really a fine, like a finer detail, which was an important one, which is uh, the way I understood what you just said was, When, let me see if I can word this. Um, It's going to happen when you least expect it. So there was something about a finer detail around not having an expectation. Yeah, Um, like it's almost like letting nature come to you, right? Because if you're so present and accepting of where you're at in your day, your hour, your minute, like you don't have these expectations so things will come and find you because you don't have like those barriers or those walls up in a sense because even if you're having thoughts right you're having nonverbal cues things like that even just when you're thinking people are like what are you thinking about right so when you stop trying to force what you think should happen I feel I my opinion is that life will come find you and um, like I believe who was it, Patricia said, when you have a clear mind, right, on what you want, and if you can clear these thoughts, which could be attachments, right, um, it helps you find what you, yourself, your soul, your being, whatever it is, is meant to find or the journey that's meant to be had. Um, I, I feel like when you put too much pressure it's it's going to be fabricated a little bit because you're you're trying to make something versus what should just exist. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Okay, so so being unattached for it to enter into your space, but then there is a discernment that takes place. Like, you know, I uh, like let me just give an example. Like, okay, my husband unattached. He he doesn't look or or talk or do anything relative to like what I used today right he was very very different um but I was totally open so here he shows up in my life as you've expressed Anna in a serendipitous kind of way but at some point I I was able to sort of 
well, I can't say able to. I applied some, not filters, but once he was into my space, then I was able from a place of like, it was a different place. Like if I put a barrier up at first, if I put the filters up at first, he would have never entered my vortex. <laughs> and, but I, at some point had to discern like what was going to work for me and not work for me. What did a partner look like? What does, yeah. you know, the long game look like in terms of growth and agility, right? Yeah. yeah. So then is that attachment? I think, I think that we're always going to be bound to a level of attachment. I guess it's like, what's the balance that keeps you moving forward than backwards if that makes sense because i struggle with that idea all the time where i'm like well if you're supposed to be so disassociated how can you make logical you know decisions right, right? right. like you can't just mindlessly go through life so i completely understand that i've been trying to figure out that myself um i don't i definitely don't have the answer but i think that it comes to a level of self-awareness a level of understanding how present you are. So necessarily, not necessarily being present all the time, but understanding I'm not being present or, and it kind of goes back to self-awareness in that sense. Um, and then making decisions uh, based off of, in my opinion, like, are you inherently doing something good? Is it selfish? Like whatever your moral code is, right? Um, right now, that's the balance that I feel like works until I can understand how can you be so disattached, right? But also logically make things that make, make decisions that make sense for your life. I, I, I totally understand where I have trouble even understanding how do these two things go. But I think that in my life experience, I have observed how both benefit and it's just finding, you know, the balance that makes everything go forward. The thing is with this is that if, if you had no attachments ever, like say you were incapable of forming attachments, yeah. you would not be able to function in our day-to-day yeah. life. You wouldn't, like, one day you'd be like, I don't know, I don't have an attachment to breathing anymore, and you would pass out. <laughs> like, it, it's just the way that it works. So it's not about completely getting rid of attachments. It's about understanding that attachments are part of life and where those attachments are forming. You have an attachment to chocolate if you like it or if you don't like it. Like every experience, we form an attachment in some way. And we have the ability to let go of an attachment. Like say right now, I'm like, eh, I don't care if I like chocolate or not. And I can completely let it go and it will not influence or it doesn't have to influence my current experience. But it's when they're unacknowledged and especially when they're getting in the way of, of something going on in the present that they can be unideal or unpreferred. And so like if you had no attachments at all to the type of person you were with, you would just say yes or no. It wouldn't matter to the first person that walked up and, and proposed a relationship. with you. And if you didn't care who you were married with, who you spent the rest of your life with, which again is another form of attachment, like a commitment, <laughs> then then you wouldn't, it wouldn't matter at all. Basically what I'm saying is to say that I want to be with somebody that is this way is an attachment. It's coming from a place of attachment. It's coming from a previous life experience that you've identified as preferable and you've projected it onto the present moment 
and it's influencing your decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's exactly what the book talks about too, or the follow-up lecture talks about is how all of our (laughs) things are preferred because of different experiences we've had. It's, 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 honestly, I think it's a very hard idea to find what the balance is. Like, it's almost like you have to digest the information and then like slowly put it into practice. So it's actually uh, beneficial because otherwise it, I, I can say it's super confusing um, because everything that we're, we're shaping our opinions or ideas on is just based off of experience that we happen to have. Well, it's about being present. Like that's where suffering comes from, according to Buddhists, is from the attachments. So if you're suffering, you can either choose to remain attached to whatever is creating the suffering or detach and alleviate the suffering. Now, if you're feeling joy or happiness or euphoria, you're also attached in some way. But yeah. you may not want to let go of those ones. <laughs> those ones feel good. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's like, what's our natural? I don't know. It, it's a pretty deep topic, honestly. So it's interesting as I'm listening, I'm thinking the distinction that's being made is like having like dessert, like having a filter before the experience takes place is may not serve you, but to experience it and make a, you know, to, to have an attachment by way of experiencing it, actually experiencing it is probably a better place or, you know, not better, but uh, is another place. So if I think of myself as like, a home like if i say no to anybody who knocks on the door i never get to experience who they are whereas if i open the door let them in and then experience who they are and use my own filtering system after the door is open um then perhaps you know i get the experience of love in my home or laughter or something that you know the whatever filter i had keep my door closed might have stopped me from having that experience because it wasn't based in experience it's based in a an external or, or past experience um, yeah it, it kind of, in that sense like our bodies are a vessel and we're observing what human life is based off of the choices that are made so we're like observe whether it's positive or negative we're observing it hey guys um, i'd like to chime in if, if possible been listening to y'all also i'd like to somewhat apologize because y'all y'all basically kick off y'all's conversation when it's my bedtime because i'm in another time zone so i either listen later or usually don't speak a lot anymore but anyway um so i just wanted to give y'all some of my experience uh from what i've observed and gathered um so from a from a a perspective uh every human at every second of every day is the embodiment of past present and future and it's hard to it's hard to kind of realize that but if you think about it as y'all were talking about attachments and stuff if you weren't attached to breathing you'd you'd forget same thing with like walking so at every second of every day, you, you carry with you all of your life's sums experience. You are present at that very second. And then you are also deciding the exact judgment and movements there forward. 
So again, like I said, at every second, you are the embodiment of all three, the past, present, and future. So becoming unattached to everything is, is almost, it, it's unfathomable. So what I like to try to do is come from a place of neutrality because uh, you, you can't really be unattached from everything, at least in my experience. Uh, because you embody all three. Um, so whenever situations present themselves to me, uh, I try to make judgments based off of a neutral position as far as keeping all of my uh, personal effects and thoughts and experiences kind of out, but also you have to use use judgments on merits of the situation. But anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there to y'all that's pretty cool charles i i like that because if we i really like it if we actually think about you know not allowing the past to limit present and future experiences and we experience in the present and we do our assessment in the present then that's probably more aligned to even a better future outcome than doing anything from the past. Nobody can hurt you now in the past, right? They can. Well, yeah. Rachel, think about it in terms of some of the ways that we talked about in leadership, where you have a certain type, I'll say you have certain types of events that are recurring in your life. Think about those events that are formed by attachment. Like my, my, um, my example of my ex-girlfriend who I was trying to recreate in future relationships. Now, once I recognized that that was an attachment, I could choose something different. I know I have an attachment to this type of woman, and I know that that attachment hasn't worked yet so far in creating a long-term love and connected relationship. So instead of following this attachment and making the same choices and decisions and creating the same results, I'm going to choose to create something brand new and I'll see what that result looks like. And what, if it's favorable, cool, it could be better or worse than my previous results. And that's when we enter into the experimentation phase. So like even think about this way too. So Byron Katie, right? Her book of called um, loving what is she basically went through a whole experience where she got an accident or something and she came down with amnesia and when she woke up in the hospital, she didn't know her husband. She didn't know her kids. She didn't know her name. She didn't know anything. All of a sudden, the entire baggage that was her history, her past, all of a sudden was not impacting her present moment and her decision-making about creating her future. It's like all of a sudden, she was just this blissful, happy person living the life of her dreams, you know, meeting all these wonderful people that were showing up in the hospital that were in her life. And as she remembered events in the past, like, oh, yeah, I hate it when my kids leave socks on the floor. She was like, well, that doesn't feel very good. That makes me feel upset. That makes me feel frustrated. I feel emotionally triggered. She's like, huh, with every thought that comes back in, I'm experiencing my present moment in a new way, in a different way now. I didn't care that the socks were on the floor until I remembered that I cared that they're on the floor. <laughs> that makes sense. So it's about recognizing that that's always going on these previous experiences are affecting the way that you're experiencing and engaging the present moment 
And if you can identify what's working, what's not working out of those, those attachments, those thoughts, those beliefs, whatever else is, is coming into effect, then you can effectively navigate in creating something that you want to create in your life. Instead of going on date after date after date after date, trying to create an old relationship when these are brand new people in front of you that would create a brand new relationship. No relationship is ever the exact same. That's the reality of the situation. And if I'm going to love what is, I've got to love that this isn't my ex-girlfriend in front of me. This isn't the old relationship in front of me. So being present to what is, is this new person, this new relationship, this new experience, and taking it in for what it is, and then creating the attachments and projecting that into the future if you want to. Is that making sense? It makes total sense. So being present to the what is, is one thing. Loving the what is, is actually a position. So... Yeah, it's like a mix mix of like (laughs) self-awareness. I feel like that's what it comes down to is like self-awareness of your thoughts because like in a sense, we can't be the person with amnesia, right? Like we're anesthesia, no, amnesia, right? Um, Basically, like we we can only look at it as an afterthought where that person was able to see it as a present time but because our thoughts are so noisy i would imagine for most people um it's hard for us to see it from her perspective like i I don't even know how someone could like you'd have to be a master of silencing your thoughts to experience life um, as that woman did because she had no memories right she had no memories to trigger thoughts so like all we, from my understanding, all we can do is be self-aware of our experiences to know why we're hearing these thoughts so we can better respond um, or react to those thoughts. And she actually, came up, yeah. she actually came up with a process that she calls inquiry. So instead of being like, oh, I hate socks on the floor. She would recognize that the thought of hating the socks on the floor was actually the cause of the experience. And she would then go back to that thought and say, okay, well, is that thought true? Can I absolutely know for sure if it is true? What if it wasn't true? And she starts dissecting it to see if it's something that she can alter, replace, or even come to, to, come to terms with, to enjoy that thing. I try to do that, Gigi, when my dogs bark because it drives me bananas. <laughs> and I try to think to myself, what what if I just consider this the free you know what I stand for, freedom and autonomy, and them just expressing and and they're expressing freely what they're feeling yeah. in the moment and embrace their sound is a beautiful sound. Right, and sometimes it works, yeah. sometimes it doesn't work. Well, that, <laughs> Give yourself that, a reason to love it. So there was, I think there was something that Branson had sent me maybe a month or a few months back. Um, and I, I, list, I don't know, I don't remember who it was, but they were like, if you break down your ideas or your thoughts or your opinions, and this woman was saying that basically, like, it, it would basically break it down to, do dogs bark? Oh, <laughs> Right. And it's like, 
can you expect your dog to not bark? Right. So it breaks it down to the idea of like, almost like, is it nature? Right. Do, do your parents, do parents nag kids? So if a kid's like, Oh, my parents nagging me so much. I'm so like, you know, freaking, uh, held down because my parents nag me too much or they, they care about if I do this or that. And it's like, well, our parents supposed to care. Right. And it breaks it down to almost accepting the other side to where, it doesn't even really bother you because you kind of understand that it's their nature. That's, that's Byron Katie. That's the book that we're talking about in there. She describes through that process. Like she's got a kid on there who, who's like, my parents judge me and it's, you know, it's a terrible experience and help me work through this. And she goes, okay, well the thought is the belief is parents aren't supposed to judge, but what's the reality of it? My parents are judging me. Okay, get with the program. That's what happens. You're on Earth. You you show up, you judge, and you die. Like that's the game here. It's pretty cool once you know the rules, type of thing. Yeah. And so it's when you boil it down to the very bottom of what she's discussing in that book. The reason why I think she calls it loving what is, is because reality will be the way reality is. Rachel, your dogs will bark because dogs bark. That's just the reality of the situation. And not even because dogs bark, but your dogs bark. How do I know this? Because your dogs bark. It's just the way reality is right now. And so you can either choose to enter into conflict with it and say, my dogs aren't supposed to bark. I've got special dogs or I've trained my dogs or that means they're having an emotional reaction and I need to help them because they're suffering, whatever the reason is. You're entering into conflict with the way reality actually is. And the other flip side of that is that you could choose to love the way reality is because it's the way reality is. No need to change it or fight it or to enter into conflict with it. So there's really, in her distinction there, two paths to go in every experience. You can love reality for showing up the way that it shows up to you, or you could enter into conflict with reality and say it shouldn't be this way or it should be a different way or whatever it is. That's her ultimate distinction in her book. And the bottom line, Ginger, I feel like it comes back to that responsibility part. Whether I choose to love it or hate it, live with it, deal with it, transform it, it's at my, I'm responsible for that. That's your choice. Absolutely. Exactly. It's kind of funny because, like, it's your choice within your mind, right? Because no one else, is anyone else really feel if you love it or hate it? <laughs> Unless they're super psychics. Right? It's kind of interesting because it's like you make that choice within yourself. And it's such a, like, it impacts you so much, but that, that huge choice actually really doesn't impact others that much. It, it does by your disposition i'll say like if you're constantly on edge and upset and frustrated and nagging the dogs chasing them around trying to get them to shut up then yeah you could kind of be impacting your immediate or whatever environment but if you're always happy and the dogs are always barking it's not necessarily you that's that's i guess impacting your environment you would be but the louder thing that's now there is the dog situation. And let's just get really clear. 
I absolutely adore my dogs, and <laughs> they are free to bark. <laughs> Just funny because I have friends <laughs> like that who are like, "Oh, Rachel, oh my dog can't bark," and I'm like, "What? <laughs> what do you mean they can't bark? They're a dog." But obviously, it's like I think that uh, Piranha um, Pharaoh, sorry, uh, has a valid point to it is what it is, and I think um, fighting your situation is something I haven't really thought about before in terms of, you know, someone comes to you with negative feedback. Of course, what do you want to do? You want to like defend yourself, right? Instead of just being, Oh yeah. Okay. Like that's what it is. I I have a question here. Um, I haven't read the book, so I don't know what the author's perspective is or general worldview from which all of um, these philosophical ideas are coming from, but one question that I have is, does the author comment about um, just things in life that are like genuinely evil words, like not just an irritation, like, oh, I hate it when my dog barks, but like, like, what about the things that are actually wrong in life? Does, does the author comment on that? Like, to say that, oh, like, just we should accept it just because this is what is or, um, you know, like, where it's a sense like this really shouldn't be this way. I don't, I don't know that. the beginning I of think... the conversation, so I don't know if it was addressed later or earlier. No, I don't think this was addressed, but I know that I don't know that because I have, I've only listened to part of the book, um, so maybe uh, others could answer that. Yeah, so she doesn't necessarily go into evil in, in some of the ways that I think some people would like to hear her do it. Um, but in my assumption... And, you know, having studied her work pretty extensively, I would imagine that she would, it would boil down to the same type of thing. Dogs bark, evil exists, or you can either choose to enter into conflict with it or not. It's not that entering into conflict is a bad thing. Like, by acknowledging that evil exists, it may give you purpose in the world. And purpose isn't necessarily such a bad thing. Now, if, if you're constantly running around trying to find the evil and snuff the evil out and you end up damaging your own relationships and whatever else, that then may get in the way of your experience of life. So it's not necessarily you know, proving evil exists or doesn't exist, but it's your own, it's your own experience that we're engaging here, not the external world of what's evil and what's not. Yeah, I and think your, that's that's kind yeah. of assumed, right? So we're not talking about, like, <laughs> the books are, are more about, like, the gray area and within self and that sort of thing. I mean, there are some things that are blatantly evil. Or no, yeah, things so, that are harmful. Which book are about, speaking on? Because if yeah. it's the book that um, Pharaoh's talking about, the Untethered Soul talks about God, but he doesn't get into... I don't think that he gets into depth about it because he just is kind of like laying out these ground rules. Um, or are we talking about the book where uh, it talks about just accept what is? Well, it's, it's called loving what is. You know, recognizing oh, is. reality is the way that reality is. And the way that it is right now, you can choose to accept it, to love it, or choose to engage in conflict with it. So the thought that something is evil is what she's talking about, not the way the world actually is. 
because none of us are experiencing the world the way the world actually is. We're filtering it through our own worldview. We're filtering it through our past experiences, our ideologies. It's constantly uh. interpreted. And so she doesn't go as far to say the, wor- the way the world really is, and this is what you should do about it. She's going in and saying Here's your, your perspective. thought about the world may work for you or it may not work for you. 